Uh, we're going to continue on in our what we've been talking about over the past several weeks as we talk about the final words of Jesus. We have, we have already looked at the words, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we've talked about that. We have looked at the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then last week, we talked about the words, um, I'm thirsty. I don't know if you're, maybe you're a little bit different, but as you, if, if you listen to those words, and if you walk around and you're observant, it's amazing the number of people that are around us that are hungry and thirsty. Have you ever noticed that? But not just for water, for acceptance, for love, for something else. And you know what? We learned last week that there is nothing that will fill or quench our thirst other than a relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to come back and we're going to look at the words, it is finished. I'm going to tell you up front, don't try to keep up with me. You're not going to be able to keep up with me. I will make sure that these notes, the sermons and stuff are online so you'll be able to go back and, and look. Unless you're a professional Bible driller, you will not be able to keep up this morning because I'm going to move really, really fast. Probably so fast that you won't even be able to write it down fast enough, the verses. But if it is finished, if Jesus says it is finished, what was it that was completed? What was it that had been finished? And by the way, before I go any further, Steve and Billy, will you stand up? Because you guys are getting ready to go to Russia for something special. Stand up just for a second. Why are you going to Russia? To get a little girl. I've asked them to take some great videos because we're going to talk about adoption at next Christmas and how God adopts us into his family. Can we pray for you? Father, we pause right now to ask God in the midst of this long wait. Now we're excited, the, the trembling within us about the acceptance of a, of a new child into, into Billy in Stephen's home. And they're going there and they've expended the finances and they've spent the time praying. And Lord, now that opportunity is right there. And so, Father, I pray for safe traveling for this, this young little girl that's coming into this home that I know that's going to love her, that's going to provide for her and meet her needs. Lord, I pray that at the forefront of that, God, it will be talking to her about Jesus, training her up in the ways of the Lord. We're so thankful for, for this couple, for extending and opening up their arms. And God, we pray blessings on them as they go. What an exciting time, Father. For them and for us as a family we're excited about meeting her for the first time so bless them lord in this time in jesus name amen i had to do that i'm sorry please turn to john chapter 19 john chapter 19 we're going to move fast today john chapter 19 and we're going to look at verses 16 john is one of the another one of the books in the new testament matthew mark luke and john John chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. And I'm going to read this for you while you listen this morning. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to be crucified. So they took him away, carrying the cross by himself, and he went to the place called the place of the skull. And there they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, with Jesus between them, and Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And, 
and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people would be able to read it. Then the leading priest objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews. For he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate replied, No, what I've written, I've written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said, Rather than tearing it apart, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, They divided my garments among themselves and threw dice for my clothing. So that is what they did. Verse 25, standing near the cross were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple, he loved her, and he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Would you say that with me? It is finished. And then he bowed his head and he released the spirit. Finished. Finished. It was completed. It was done. It was over. Um, when I got to thinking about finished and completed, I, I got to thinking about, boy, I'm sure glad tax, I got my taxes done. Finished. Put, check it off my list. Some of you men in here, when you, when you get that checklist, when you want to go hunting or fishing or whatever you do for a hobby, your wife gives you a checklist, and when you finish that last thing off, it's like, now I can go. You know what I'm saying? Um, sometimes around my house, we get a checklist, and when we get that checklist, I like to check that list off, so it means I'm finished. And here's Jesus saying, I have done everything that you have sent me to do. Jesus said, it's finished. And he bowed his head, and that complex sacrificial system that had, that had existed prior to Jesus was now over because Jesus died once and for all, and for all the sins past, the present, as well as for those to come. Jesus said, it is finished. Teleo. Teleo. Things had been brought to a close. They had been completed. The order had been executed. Now, I remember growing up, my mother would ask us to go clean our rooms. We would come out, and she would say, are you done? We would say, we're finished. It's completed. We're done. And she'd say, let's go check up under the bed. <laughs> no, no. There wasn't anything hidden. There wasn't anything that was left undone. It had been completed. It was finished. And Jesus said, I have done exactly what the Father had sent me to do. Jesus said, I've came to do what my father sent me to do, and now it's done. But what was it that Jesus came to do? I mean, if he had completed his mission, he was finished, he's, he's verbalizing, it is finished, what was it that Jesus came to do? 
I wanted to go back and look at some of those things today, and I'm going to move extremely fast. Some of the thing, these things maybe you've heard in the past as we've talked, but I wanted to go back and give you some scriptures today that I thought would help you better understand just what Jesus himself came to do. And it would take us days and days and days to go through a list of all those verses to see what Jesus had completed, but I at least wanted to give you a brief list because Jesus said this, I didn't come on my own accord, but the scripture teaches that Jesus came because his father had sent him. In 8 John chapter 8 verse 42, he was on a mission from God. And so here is a list of some of the things that Jesus came to do. Number one, he came as a prophet. A prophet. As a prophet, Jesus would speak God's word and he would reveal God to us. In the Old Testament, it foretold the fact that a Messiah would come. In Deuteronomy, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. And both Peter and Stephen both came back and said in the book of Acts that Jesus was the prophet that had been foretold from the earliest of times. And Jesus came to preach. He came to speak to us, to speak out God's word. In Mark chapter 1, uh, later Simon and the others went out to find Jesus. And this is when it said, and when they found them, they said, everybody's looking for you. Where have you been? And in verse 38, chapter 1 of Mark, it says, but Jesus replied, we must go to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I've come. See, Jesus knew exactly what his purpose in life was. He knew exactly why the Father had had sent him, and he didn't want to get distracted. He knew exactly what the Father had sent him to do, and that was what he wanted to do and nothing else. How many of us are wandering around today not having a clue of what we've been sent to do? You go from job to job to job, wife to what, husband to husband, house to house to house, and you just can't figure it out because you don't have a clue what you're supposed to be doing. And Jesus says, I know exactly what I've come to do. And that's what I'm going to do, exactly what my father created me to do. Not only was he a prophet, but he was also a king, who, a king who rules over all people of times and places as well as every aspect of our life. And Jesus came to reveal his kingdom, and this is what it says in John chapter 18, verse 36. It says that Pilate asked Jesus, so you are a king? You're a king. Jesus said, well, my kingdom is not of this earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. And as a king, Jesus came to rule over us. In Romans chapter 15, verse 12, it says this, The heir to David's throne will come, and he will rule over the Gentiles, and they will place their hope in him. Jesus, a king, a lord, but the difference between his kingship and another's kingship is that Jesus would love us and he would want what's best for us. I mean, this isn't just a king that's looking out for his own interest, trying to build his little kingdom. This is a king who would go to the depths of offering himself for our interest, but not for his own. John 10.10 10 says that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus became a priest he came as the priest in the Old Testament. It was the priest, the one that would come and make sacrifices. But here Jesus himself would become the sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews 9.26, not once, but once for all times, he appeared at the end of the age to remove sin by his own death as a sacrifice. And he would intercede for us continually. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says, well, who will condemn us then? 
Who will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and, uh, and was raised to life for us. And he sits at the place of honor, of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. It's amazing as we look. It's always easy for us to be able to think that because of a person sits in the place of standing before you to declare God's word. Sometimes we want to put our trust or our faith in that evangelist or that pastor or that musician or that person that, that stands in that place of authority. But Jesus was the high priest. He was the high priest. He was the high priest, and he serves as our advocate before the Father. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, there were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But in the Old Testament, it says, because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. And therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever. There's that word again, forever to intercede with God on their behalf. And listen to these things that Jesus came to do. He came to save the lost. In Luke chapter 19, he said, I've come to seek and save those that are lost. And in 1 Timothy, it was said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which Paul said, which I am the worst of all. Jesus came to save the world. John chapter 12, I've come as a light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in darkness. Jesus came to die. In John chapter 12, verse 27, it says, Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray? Father, save me from this hour, Jesus said. But this is the very reason I came. Father, may I bring glory to your name. Jesus also came to service through his death. In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus got his disciples together, and this is what he said to them. You know that the ruler of this world, the rulers in this world, lorded, uh, lord over their people, and officials flaunt their authority of those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be first of you, first among you must become your slave. And in verse 28 there in Matthew chapter 20, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So the good news, listen, is that what Jesus came to do, he completed it. Everything. Everything that Jesus came to do, Felix, was done. Checked off the list. And as he stands on that cross... That day, he said, it's finished. The order has been executed. That's the good news. That's the good news. When Jesus looked up to his father and said, I have finished what you have sent me to do. But you know what the bad news is, Troy? Unfinished business. Tom, unfinished business. Randy, unfinished Jim, un John, unfinished business. Regardless if you are a believer or a follower of Christ, if you're a non-believer, unfinished business. Listen, for the non-believer, think about this. The foundational question that each one of us have to answer somewhere along the line in life is, do I really trust him? Now, I'm not talking about, have you been baptized? I'm not talking about, do you go to church? I'm not talking about, do you tithe? I'm not talking about, do you go to a Bible study? Are you in, did you help out with the Easter egg hunt? The foundational question is, do you really trust him? 
See, in 2 Peter, it says, it states that the Lord desires, that wants any one of us to be destroyed, but he desires that every one of us repents. And that it repentance is not just feeling sorry for what you do. Have you ever had your child come up to you and they feel sorry because of the consequences? It's not what I'm talking about. Repentance is, is not just feeling sorry for what we've done because of the consequences. It's like a conversation I had with a man the other day. It's not about feeling sorry for the consequences, but it's about seeing yourself as you're the one that crucified Jesus on the cross. It was because of our sins that he died. Because of our sins. And if you're a non-believer, there's unfinished business. Because the opportunity is for you to stand before everyone and say, I believe. I want to follow Christ. I want to trust Christ. And so if you're here today and you're not a believer, I'm not talking about being active in church. I'm talking about have you come to the place in your life where you've truly trusted Christ and believe without a shadow of a doubt that his, that his son, Jesus, died on a cross for our sins. And if you're a non-believer, you have unfinished business. But you know what, guys? Those of us that are believers have unfinished business. Unfinished business. Think about it. For those of us that have trusted Christ, those of us that have admitted that we're sinners, that we believe that God sent his son to be a sacrifice for our sins, you still have unfinished business. Because God's not done with you yet. Troy, God's not done with you yet. Kenny, God's not done. You may have made that decision to follow Christ several couple of months ago, but God's not done with you. That's the beginning of the process. The beginning. And just as a baby grows, we should grow in our relationship with Christ. Not to become more church-like, but to become more Christ-like. And the last time I read the scriptures, it says that while I'm here on this earth, that journey is still on. John, still on, baby. If you've trusted Christ, it's still on every day. Still on. Brittany, every day. Not to become more like people say you should become, but to become more Christ-like in everything. This is what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. The responsibility of the church is to equip and to help us work to build up the church, the body of Christ, to prepare. And this is the verse that the Lord, the, as I sensed, as I was off of the Lord, prepare the church for my return. Prepare the church for my return. Prepare the bride of Christ for my return because I am coming back. And it doesn't have anything to do with size and it doesn't have anything to do with what it looks like, but the reality of what it is. Prepare the bride of Christ for my return. Not becoming more church-like, becoming more Christ-like. And it says that as a baby, we make that decision to say, I want to follow Christ. And all of a sudden, we got a baby back in diapers. And you know how difficult it is to have a baby with diapers. I hated going to Disney World in places with babies in diapers because you had all that junk you had to take with you. And you had to wipe their fanny when they went to the bathroom. You remember that? Then you had to feed them and you got it all over you. Dealing with babies is nasty. It's dirty. <laughs> Dealing with baby Christians is dirty and it's nasty. Why do you think we have so much conflict in the church today? Because we got a bunch of baby Christians. They've never grown past. They never went on to the past of me. They don't know what it's like to ask for forgiveness. They don't know what it's like to move in that type of a situation. It's a whole lot easier just to stay as a baby and let somebody else take, to, take care of you. It's a whole lot easier to let a pastor stand up here and preach to you and go, oh, that was a really good thing, and just walk out and do your own thing the rest of the week. I'm getting really loud. I'm sorry. 
It's a whole lot easier to come and lay, oh, Brian plays such great music to let Brian play instead of you using your gifts and talents to get involved. Omar, you did a great job. You're not John, but you did a good job. Just want you to know that. But think about that. Trusting Christ is just the beginning of the journey. This is the beginning of the journey. This is not the ending of the journey. Paul goes on to say, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lives that are so clever that sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Let me go back. Growing in every way more and more like Christ. That sounds like a really good mission statement for a church. You can't leave a legacy. Well, I guess you can. You will only leave what we're willing to live. Who is the head of the church? He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each body does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. I am not the same person I was some 40 years ago when I first made that decision to follow Christ. As I sat with the teenagers the other day, I said, man, listen, along with life has come multitudes of choices. It wasn't just trusting Christ, but do I trust him at this stage? And do I trust him in this decision? Do I trust him in this decision and every decision that I have? What does that look like? Every way, every part along the way, it's a journey of following Christ, trusting Jesus to say, Lord, it's your agenda, not my agenda. How many of you, when you took a job, did you ask, even, even asked, Lord, is this your agenda? Or did you go after the job that paid the most? When you moved to where you moved, did you move there because, Lord, did you say, Lord, is this your agenda? Or is this what I want to do? When, the, when you're looking for the spouse, did you say, Lord, is this your agenda? Or is this something that I want to do because she really looks good? He looks great. Looks fade, baby. <laughs> looks fade. Is God, is this your agenda? Is this my agenda? I told the students the other day, don't waste your time on dating. Man, write out a list. This is what I believe God wants me to have in a, in a future mate. Write that list out. And at the top, somebody that loves God more than they love me. Write that list out. Don't waste your time. I am not the same person that what I was when I first trusted Christ. And I tell you this, I have done a whole lot more church than I have been Christ-like in the past. But my desire is to be more Christ-like, to mature in my faith. Paul said it this way. You can, you can take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 3 if you want to. And I'll read this as we move towards closing out this morning. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 5 through 14. Sometimes it's good just to read God's Word because it speaks on its own. Did you know that? Do you know that when you spend time in God's Word on a daily basis, it speaks, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Do you know that? You don't have to have somebody stand up here and interpret it. God will speak to you. And this is what it says. Paul speaks to us in Philippians chapter 3. He's talking about himself and he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. As for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Think about growing, guys. You know all the stuff that we, send, we have the tendency to put, put up in life that's saying they're so valuable? The stuff that we as churches sometimes say these things are so valuable? Our desire is not to load you down with a bunch of junk at Heritage. We want to load you down with the stuff that's really important. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, though obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ Jesus. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Remember what we say about faith? Faith is forsaking all, I trust him. God, it's your agenda, not my agenda. It's your stuff before my stuff. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. And that's where we are to be. That's where we are to be in our, in our relationship with God, that, that knowing God should be more important than anything else that we do. Spending time listening for his voice, reading God's word, that should be so important. And he says, um, for God's way of making us right depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved. Sometimes we think as believers we've already made it. Sometimes we think we've already gone as far as we need to go. We're up here and everybody else is down there. And if everybody just catch up with me, everything would be just fine. You have not. I have not. I have already achieved these things. I don't mean to say that I've achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. Anybody like to forget the past? Forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. And I press on to reach the end of the race to receive the heavenly prize for which God through Jesus Christ is calling us. So if you're a Christ follower, there's unfinished business. You're not there yet. Rich, as great of a guy you are, the pool man, you ain't there yet, baby. It is, you're just not there. Because you've got some unfinished business, because you're not there to the end of the journey. And Paul said, I press forward to the high mark, the calling of Christ Jesus. Unfinished business. Unfinished business. The non-believer as well as the believer. You've probably heard this story before. It talks about Hernando Cortez going before the governor of Spain to, to uh, request some ships and men to go and, and discover a new world, and it was granted to him. And so he left with some 11 ships and some 700-plus men, and they, they landed at this place called Veracruz. And it was there that they were so excited when they... When they pulled up on the ground and all of a sudden, after a period of time, they be just began to experience the natives and who were horrendous and, and the living conditions, and it was really, really bad. And, and uh, it didn't take long for, for 
the negativity to begin and, and all of a sudden the guys were, were talking about we should have never even come. Should have never even come. And when Cortez found out about that, he gave one simple order. Burn the ships. No turning back. Burn the ships. Now you want to talk about commitment? That's what commitment is. Commitment is taking the passionate desire to do something, drawing a line in the sand, stepping across that line and saying there's no turning back. That's how we finish strong. Not when we waver, well, is he or does he or should I or shouldn't I? Drawing a line in the sand and saying, baby, I, I step over the line. And that's one of the most difficult things I think that I see in the lives of people today is unwillingness to step across that line. We want to play on it. And as long as it's convenient, we want to live for Jesus. But all of a sudden, when it's not so convenient, we want to stand right over here and say, well, I just don't really know if I believe that much. I'm really having a difficult time understanding. Burn the ships, baby. Either get on or get off. <laughs> Figure it out. That's how you finish strong. You commit to that kind of resolve. And that's exactly what Jesus did. You understand what he did? He committed to that type of resolve. He didn't have to do it. But he did it. And he did it willingly. And he did it for us. Some of you guys are here and you, you've professed Christ. And you, you would call yourself a Christ follower. But you're wavering on the line. Man, resolve to commit today. To step over that line and say, I am not going to turn back. Jesus finished well, and he finished well, and he did what he came to do. And for those of us that still have breath, Paul encouraged us when he said this, I am certain that God who began a good work within you will continue to work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. For those of us that are believers, the opportunity is to understand God's not done with me yet. There's still a construction sign that's set up around you. And understand that God's not done, that there's unfinished business. But my goal is not to be more church-like, but it's to be more Christ-like. And God's Word becomes, my, becomes my, my book, my instruction book. For those of us that have never trusted Christ, the non-believer, the, non the question is, is what is it that holds you back? What is it that holds you back? Because Jesus has already done everything that he's going to do. He's done it all. Every piece of the puzzle is now in place. Now it's up to us to make a choice. Paul said this in Acts 20, 24. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. God's not done with me yet. Bart, as great as a guy as you are, God's still not done. Dave, love you. God's not done. Me, I know God's not done with me yet. But I'll never get to where I need to be unless I take that step and I say, I'm resolved. I've made that decision to follow Christ. 
I want to be Christ-like. That's a great challenge for us. See, Jesus said, it is finished. That's the good news. The bad news, God's undone with us yet. Unfinished business. Where are you at in that process? I always, one of my favorite verses is in Galatians 2. I'm crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ Jesus who lives within me. The life I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's sacrifice. But that's really living. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, what a great day it is. And uh, it's good to be able to come back and to remember the sacrifice that was that was paid on that cross 2,000 years ago. And, and Lord, we so much ex are excited about Easter in the anticipation of the resurrected Christ and what it means for us within Christianity. Wow. That we don't serve a dead Savior who's in a tomb that has a tombstone, but we serve a risen Savior, and that is the basis of all that we, all that we believe in as, as Christians, that we serve a risen Savior. And for those of us that are Christ followers here today to realize, to understand that, Lord, you're not done with us yet. That there's work to be done. There may be forgiveness that need to be offered. Father, there may, there may need to be other issues that are dealt with this morning. That as, we, as we're sitting here, Father, the Holy Spirit is speaking with us. And we are resolved to say, I believe. And if I believe, what does my life look like tomorrow if I'm truly following Jesus? That some of my agendas won't be my agendas. But I'll go back and say, God... What is it that you want me to do for the person that's looking at that next job? God, what is it you want me to do? The young person that's looking at maybe college or marriage or whatever it may be. God, what is it you want me to do? For that financial decision, God, what is it you want me to do? What is it you desire from me? Wow. For those of us that are Christ followers, unfinished business. So what's next? But for those that are here today that have never trusted Christ... There's still unfinished business. And if you are here today and you've never made a commitment to step over the line and say, I believe, what's stopping you today? Father, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know Christ, would they be bold enough even after this service to come to me, to look me in my eye and say, today I want to trust Jesus? There's somebody here today that has said that I've trusted Christ, but I've never been baptized. I've never followed through in letting everybody know that I'm a Christian. I want to do that. Would they be bold enough to come to me this morning after this service? Father, as we go about our daily business this next week, this is what I pray, that we would see people as you see them. And Father, as we live this next week, maybe we, maybe we, may we be willing to ask ourselves, Lord, what is it within me that's unfinished? And Father, what do I need to do about it? It's a great day. It's a great day. It's going to be a great week. But Father, may it be a week that we are solid in saying, Dear Jesus, I want to live for you. That I want to be a light for you. That's who heritage is. Not just about doing more church, but learning to be the church. Father, thank you for this day. And we send our people out to make a difference in this world in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen.